Uh, I just want to welcome you. If uh, this is your first time to DBC, we just consider you part of our family. Um, uh, my name is Chad. I'm the pastor of the church. It's just a pleasure to be here just to worship corporately with you. Um, we are in our fourth week of our series called In His Steps, and we have literally been like following in the footsteps of Jesus, and we're kind of seeing what he did in the last days of his life. Therefore, we could look upon what he did and maybe learn some things that we need to do in our life. And today's going to be a little bit different because um, we're going to really talk about one of the people who hung around with Jesus, more so walking in just specifically in Christ's footsteps. Um, but this is going to make a lot more sense coming into next week's message. So just in case you felt like staying at home, now you can't. you got to come back next week. Um, and if you want to get caught up on, uh, on this series and, and maybe there's something about today that you're drawn to, I'll just let you know that all of our messages are available on DublinBibleChurch.com. Uh, backslash messages, and it's also available on iTunes. Search Dublin Bible Church, and then look for our compass, which is the logo of our church. Uh, before we jump into the Word, um, we're going to be in Luke uh, 22, by the way, so you can do that, and we can multitask, um, only if you promise to listen while I talk and while you flip through the pages. Luke 22. Um, I just want to brag on you. Uh, yesterday, and Marla said this, um, you kind of stole my thunder, babe. Um, I know. Uh, y'all brought in 1,500, 1,500 bottles of water, and yet we only had 100 left over, but we were able to pass out 1,400 bottles of water to thirsty folks. And you know what? I just thank you. I applaud you for doing what you've done. And, bring, and then also, uh, just for you being the church that you are, you're bringing in water, and everyone who, who looks like they were in the sun yesterday, um, we were probably the ones passing out the water. Uh, we got a little uh, a little stained by the sun yesterday. My face is kind of it's kind of hurting. You know, you do this and you squint when you've had a little bit of sun and your face kind of burns. That's my reality today. But we just had a, really an army of people just mobilized by the gospel, passing out water, uh, amazing conversations that were had, people wanting to give us money. Uh, we didn't receive any money. We just said, you know what, we're doing this because of Jesus. He gave to us, so we therefore feel called to give back uh, just to his people and, and to other people who are or people who are not walking with Christ, but because of the things he has done for us, that we feel compelled to give things back to him, and we do that in a myriad of ways. Um, and I just want to brag on you because it was an incredible day uh, yesterday and just what a great time to serve and what a great time for our church just to step up to the plate and, and just be Jesus, right? Just be Jesus because that's what we're called to be. Well, I want to kind of intro uh, really the, the topic this morning with the story. Um, Marla and I, 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 I brag about my wife all the time. She's amazing. Um, she uh, is... You know, she really, uh, you know, for lack of better terms, she completes me. You know, whatever that weird thing is, the Jerry Maguire thing, that's a little weird. I promise not to do that again. Um, but our story started a long, long time ago, and we've been married for 20 years, and we dated in high school, and this is the time that all the ladies go, ah, oh, and then the guys are like, who cares, you know? But we dated in high school, and then um, I, I married an older woman, and preface this, I was in high school, and then she went off to college, and she went to Eastern Illinois University. It's um, a lot to say all at one time, on one breath. But it was kind of an amazing time in our life, and you know, the, the whole love thing's happening, and we're trying to 
you know, find out what that means and are we in love and I don't know and, you know, and all these things. And she goes off to college and I'm a senior in high school and I think I have my whole life planned out and I don't, but that's neither here nor there. And so what I would do, and, and this is what, when you're in love, I've come to find out you just kind of do crazy things, right? Anyone contest to that? Like you're in love, you just do crazy things. Raise your hands if you're crazy. No, I mean, if you do crazy things for love, raise your hand. We've got a few of us. One of the things that, that I would do is I would drive over. It was an hour and a half drive over to the school where she was, and literally I would drive over there an hour and a half, even if it was for us only to spend like a half hour or 45 minutes together, and then I would turn around and I would drive back home. And it was just the crazy things you do for love. Well, there was this instance that, that I was able to spend much of the day over at her school. She may have, don't tell anyone, she may have actually skipped school that day, and we went bowling and just had a blast. But on my way back, um, I was driving in, in her dad's pickup truck. So this is interesting. So I'm, I'm driving in her dad's pickup truck, and my, my car wasn't as reliable. So I get in the pickup truck, and I drive over. I'm tired, but, you know, we've had a great day, and I turn around and by myself, and I turn around to come back home. When all of a sudden, like it's, it's dark and all of this, I'm exhausted, and I've, I learned something in that moment. I learned that the, the way that I, the direction of my life and the, the direction, the way, the way my car was going to go was, was really going to change the whole destination of that night. Because as I was driving, I fell asleep at the wheel. That's scary. And I did what, what, what foolish people do when they fall asleep at the wheel. They think that they can just soldier on, right? They think they can just be like, I'll be fine. You know, you do the toothpicks and you, you do this and you smack yourself and you roll the windows down and you turn the radio up. You do all those things. You turn the heat on, whatever it takes to try and wake yourself up. Am I the only one who's ever done this? Thanks for being honest. I feel better now. But as I'm on this, you know, lonesome hour and a half drive home, and I'm trying to go through all of this, and I'm fighting sleep, and I'm fighting sleep. All of a sudden, I, I, I do fall asleep, and I wake up, and I realize that the truck was now crossing over traffic. It was crossing the opposite side of the road, crossing, getting ready to go into a ditch. And as I wake up, and just, I mean, pandemonium within me, and now I'm off the road in the ditch. I'm about to be thrown up in the air with this truck, and now... The corn was up at this point. It, we were in Illinois at the time, and I'm driving through a cornfield, and all I hear is ding, 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 because I'm just picking ears of corn off the stalks while I'm out in the middle of this field in my father-in-law's truck. Yeah. Future father-in-law. Yeah, that was even worse. Much healing had to happen before we said I do. But in that moment, I, I kind of learned something, that the direction of your life, not the intention of your life, determines the destination. The direction that I was headed in that, in that vehicle, it's like I, I, I just wanted to get home, and my intention was just to, to, could I just get home, and I just need to get home safe, and I just need to get home safe. But all through that time, you see, I was missing something that many of you have ran into in your own life. Many of you ran into this. I love the way Andy Stanley says this, the, the thing I just quoted in his book, The Principle of the Path. He says, direction, not intention, determines destination. You see, for me, I didn't want to go through the ditch. I didn't want to go in the field. I didn't want to fall asleep at the wheel, and yet I didn't want to, but yet my intention was not to fall asleep and do all those crazy things, but the direction of that vehicle in that moment sent me on a collision course in the middle of the field. Do you all get that? 
You see, many of us, we do these things in our life, and we don't sit back and, and think about the direction of our life on any given moment. Like, I, I believe that we don't intend to do bad things, right? There's no bad people in here, is there? No. Like, we don't, we don't intend to do bad things, but yet, why is it that we get ourselves in trouble? I think because for us, we have to understand that our destination is not built on our intention, but the direction of our life. And the way that the, the direction of our life and the way that we govern our relationships and the way that we parent and the way that we love our, our husbands and our wives and, and what we give our time and money to and what we give our hearts to ultimately will decide the destination and the path that we're going down. You see, I, I know it because people say stuff like this, and I know I'm not the only one. I, I know many of you, maybe the person sitting next to you, have said things like this. Oh, officer, I was just trying to get around that slow car. That's why I was going so fast, right? It's like my, all your intention was just to get around the car, but yet the direction that you were headed and you were flying in that way, and then all of a sudden you wonder why you got pulled over, and now you're going to get a ticket, not because of what you intended to do, but because of what you were doing, right? How many times have you had relationships and, and maybe even broken relationships in the past and, and you would have sat back and said, you know what, I never thought this would happen to me. Because maybe it was even a marriage that's just, that's just faded away and it's just, you took a beating. And life happened. And all of a sudden everything was going great and you thought on your wedding day and you stood up there and you said, I do. And your intention was that you, that you would forever, Right? But yet things happen. Job loss comes. Maybe a move. Maybe a loss of a loved one. And then you have kids. And then you have another kid. And then bills rack up. And then they have to go to the dentist. And then they want braces. And then they're playing sports. And then they want to do dance. And then they, they have all of these other things going on. And, and then, then you know, your dishwasher breaks. And now you're like, what in the world goes on? And all of a sudden you've been so consumed by the burdens of this life that you haven't invested in your marriage. You see, the reality is this. Your intention was to, to be there. To, I do. I will forever. And I mean it at that moment. But yet the direction of your life, if unchecked, can be destructive. Can it? It can be. Other things that, unfortunately, it happens, and this is just so prominent in our culture, is, you know, I, I believe that there's, there's no 16, 17, 18-year-old that just says, you know what, I, I, I want to get pregnant when I'm a junior in high school. Like, they don't say that. Nobody says that. Like, this is, I, I want to I be a mom by my senior year. Nobody says that. But we have to understand there are, certain, there are certain guidelines in our life that we have to, like, put borders around. And we're told in Proverbs 4.23 to guard our heart, for it affects everything that we do. And yet, I believe that as students and as, you know, just teenagers and growing up, you, you just want to live your life and you just want to have fun. And yet, you have to understand the direction of your life, getting in that, in that car with that boy or with that girl and going out in the woods and doing what you're doing, that is leading you on a path. Your intention may not to be a mom when you're 17, but the direction of those, those circumstances is certainly leading you there. We have to stop and think. Think about this in your life today. If, if we were just to sit back and just have coffee, it was just you and me, we're longtime friends, and we could just open up and share things. What would you say 
the direction of your life is right now. Not the intention. We're, we're putting that aside because I, I believe that you intend to do good things. That you intend to be a good person and that you intend to raise good, raise good kids who are going to be in church for the rest of their life and you're going to have just a legacy built within your kids. I, I believe that's your intention. But what about the direction of your life right now? What about the direction of your life? How well are you loving the people around you? You see, there's certain things that happen that kind of give you some clues as to maybe you're not on the right track. I'll get to those in a moment. The individual that we're going to look at today, it's Judas. If you've been churched or even de-churched, you've heard this name. And you know the destruction that came with him. And it blows my mind, before we get into this text, it blows my mind that Jesus, it would, he would invest in this person, that Judas Iscariot would be one of the twelve. And I believe in his, in his heart, I believe when he started on the journey, when he was following after Jesus with the other eleven, that he never thought that he would get to this point. That he, he, his intention was, I'm just going to follow like everybody else and, and you're going to be this, this Messiah or whatever, whatever it is that you're bringing us and you're, you're bringing us to and you're talking about this kingdom. I believe that Judas was walking with Jesus and saying, wow, there's something compelling about him just like Peter, Andrew, and the rest of them. And yet, his intention was one thing, but if you've read the Bible, you know that his destination was another. Jumping into... Our text, Luke 22, is where we're going to be. Verse 1, we've been tracking through uh, the last several chapters of Luke, and we'll be continuing right where we leave off today, uh, next week in verse 7. But verse 1 says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching, We know that this was a a festival time for the Jewish people, a time that the people would flock into Jerusalem and into that area, and they would celebrate um, just their their liberation from slavery in Egypt. So this was a big deal. They did it every year at the same time. They would all come into the city. So the the normal city of Jerusalem um, would just expand. There would be tens of thousands more people in Jerusalem and Judea and in that whole region. So now we have the setting of all that this happens. It says the Passover was approaching, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. So now the, you, you see all of the things we've been talking about for the last several weeks, that the priest and, and really the, the, the religious leaders, that they're, they're about to reach the boiling point. They don't like Jesus, they despise Jesus, but they know, at least up to this point, they knew there was nothing they could do about Jesus. Every time they would get into a public confrontation, Jesus would say something. He would, he would, he would address their issue, but he would more so address their spiritual issue. He didn't just put his, his, his finger in their face and say, hey, I told you so. He always was trying to draw them and everyone else to himself, just like he does today. Jesus Christ is, is, the, is the fulfillment of grace and truth. The perfect fulfillment of grace and truth. But you see, the, the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the, the religious elite of the day, they were intimidated by Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. But they were afraid of the people. Because, you see, when, when Jesus would go around the city and he would teach and heal, and when he would do miraculous things, amazingly enough, people would want to be a part of that. 
See, the same thing happens in a believer's life now. When the Holy Spirit comes into a believer and a believer stops living for themselves and they start living for Jesus, that becomes compelling for everybody else that's around them. And it's in that moment that you don't look like your old self, you look like your new redeemed self. And that's the very person that God wants you to be. Because he has good that he wants you to bring into the world, even today. It's his purpose, it's his will, it's, it's the way he calls us to. Verse 3 says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. Stop here. Then Satan entered Judas. You see, I believe it's in this moment, in looking from this text and drawing this truth out of this text, that Judas was, he was like just like everybody else before. We know that he was the, he was the money guy. We know that he, he, he had some improper dealings with money. We know that. We, we, that's clear. Scripture tells us that. But yet, I believe that his intention originally was just to be with one of the twelve, and he knew there was something special about Jesus, and he's like, I've just got to follow this Jesus guy. I just don't understand everything that's going on. But yet, his intention was to follow after Jesus, but the direction of his life and the events of his life would change the course of humanity. And Jesus would take that evil and he would turn it for good. It says in verse 4, And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, and he discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. You see, what happened in between between before Judas and then after Judas. Maybe, maybe it's your story. Not that you're Judas, okay? Let's not get weird on that. But maybe it's your story. Like, like before Jesus, you were one way, but then after Jesus, you were another. Where Judas, he was like, okay, yeah, I was walking with Jesus, and I, I wasn't saved, but I, I, I was seeing some things that were different about Jesus. But then all of a sudden, Satan just entered into his, into his life, and, and really, Judas, he had a will, just like you and I have a will. And he, he basically let his will. He chose Satan's way. I just want you to know, and maybe this will be helpful, or helpful rather, for you. I know it will be. But if you received a bulletin today, you, you'll see something on the very back, and it's something we do every single week. It's called the directional helps. And it's kind of a way of, of just making, making a message more practical for your life so you don't just live in, in, in a world of, of intellectual um, ascent, but you would actually find application for your life. But... On, on the uh, directional helps, I put down the enemy's war tactics. And, and there's just a list. And, and the first thing on that list, if you want to fill in that blank, is Satan is crafty. Satan is crafty. You see, with Judas, he was, his intention was to do, to, I believe, just to, to be like everybody else and just to walk after Jesus and follow after Jesus and to do all of that. But yet there was a transition that happened that he succumbed and he, he surrendered his will to, to Satan's will and, and led to destruction. But Satan is crafty. Satan is crafty. He's crafty. Second thing is this. Some things about the enemy's war tactics. This is, this is Satan's plan and he does this over and over and over again. You see this with Judas. You see this in, in Genesis 3 with the fall of man. I have to tell you, as a pastor and somebody who counsels, I, I, I see this happen over and over and over again. I want to draw these things out to you right now because I want you to write them down. I want them to be, to be etched into your heart. That way you can identify Satan's plan. 
His plan is obvious for those who want to receive it. But Satan is crafty. He's crafty. And, and he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. And he always he wants to find just a little way to get into you. And he wants to just distort a little bit of truth into you. And he wants to, he wants to, be, so, he wants to be so keen that he flies in under the radar. But Satan is crafty. The second thing is this. Satan will mix truth with lies. Every time, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, please receive this. You have, to, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to decipher everything that you hear and see from media or anything else, even your, your very emotions and the things that your hearts, are, your hearts are inclined to. We're told, and I told you this earlier in, in, in Proverbs 4.23, to guard our hearts for it affects everything that we do. And Satan, will, he will have a mixture of truth with lies. And if you do not have a level of discernment in your life, you will receive it all without knowing what's right and what's wrong. He will mix truth and lies. And he, he'll use your mind. He'll use your desires. He'll use pleasure. He's crafty. He mixes truth with lies. Third thing is this. Satan will make you question God. Please, please get this. He will make you question God. He will make you question the authority of God. He, he, will, he will speak into you and you will question God and, and you'll doubt. And it's Satan's plan. He's trying to twist it a little bit. Just a little bit. He'll take a little bit of truth and add a little bit of error, which makes it all error. And he makes you question God. Did God really say that? Remember that in the garden? Did God really say not to eat from that tree? I mean, did, did he really say? I mean, was it really there? I mean, I mean, what did he mean? Like, what was that? See, the same thing happens in our life where we'll go through because we have, we have to be redeemed inside and out. Every part of our physical and spiritual being has to be redeemed. And we can by the blood of Jesus. We can. Understand that the enemy's war tactics... His plan, it's obvious, he's crafty, he mixes truth with lies, he will make you question God. Satan will try to convince you that you are in charge. Here's how it happens. Here's how it happens in relationship. Somebody offends you. You hold on to that hurt and you say, you know what, I am not letting go of this. It hurts, but yet you falsely think that if you hold on to that, then you now have become empowered over that person in that situation. You've been so deceived. Because when you hold on to a hurt and you, you withhold forgiveness, you suffer and they don't. And it goes right back to that. Satan convinces you that you're in charge. I deserve this. Oh, if you're a Christian, I'm sorry. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we don't deserve a lot, right? We really don't. It's, it's, only, it's only by the blood of Jesus that we have what we have and only by the grace of God that we could do what we can do, right? You all believe that? He convinces you that you're in charge, and then we foolishly believe it as if it's true. And we stand on our high horse. Even as Christians, we stand on our high horse and we, we beat the Bible and we say, you know what, we're right and you're wrong. Deal with it. And Satan has so convinced you 
that now you're in charge and not God. Because Jesus told us, and he was the perfect amount of grace and truth. It takes both. The perfect mixture. The perfect mixture. So not only will you be in charge, after you have succumbed to that, that desire, that, that evil desire, that sinful desire, after you've succumbed to that, then he, he tries to shame you and he tries to control you with that shame. This is, a, this is a great divide that happens in relationships. This is a reason why people leave churches. This is a reason why people, they, that they live in broken marriages and they have kids who don't know them anymore. This, this, is where, this is where the rubber meets the road, church. Right here. Because after you have succumbed to, to the evil and, and to, the, to the enemy's tactics, and he, who is our common enemy, now all of a sudden he controls you with shame. And then if, if, you can, if you can sin and you can do things that are wrong, and now he controls you with shame, he's got it all. Because now he, he, you did it, you know that you did it, and now he shames you by reminding you that you did it, you did it, you did it. And the more that that happens, the more that you want to run away from everybody else. The more that happens, the more you want to run away from people of truth. The more that happens, you don't even want to go to church anymore. You, do, you want to get rid of your Christian friends. Happens over and over and over. But we can know his plan. And after he shames you, then he divides all your relationships. Then he's got you. He's got you right where he wants you. Go right down the list. He's crafty. Mixes truth with lies. Every time, every time he does this. I'll prove it to you. John 8, verse 44 says this. This will be on the screen. John 8, 44 says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. It's not God the Father. He's talking about Satan, the deceiver. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He cannot help but lie. But he'll add just a, a, little, a little mixture, just a little mixture of truth. And he'll mix it with those lies. And Christian, if you're, an, if you're immature in your walk, and if you're not walking currently with Jesus, you may not know the difference between the truth and the truth with lies. You may not know. And yet, as Christians, we're promised so much more. We're promised so much more. We're told in Galatians 4, Galatians 4, verse 5 through 7, it's on the screen, we're told that we're not to be slaves of sin. Those of us who are Christians, this speaking to Christians, that we're not to be slaves to sin. It says that Jesus, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Not slaves to sin, but sons and daughters of Almighty God. That we were apart from God, but then through the work and the, and the, and the broken body of Jesus and through the, the blood that was shed on the cross, 
that Jesus would say, you're not slaves to sin anymore. Now I receive you as my sons and my daughters. Oh, what a message that we need in our culture, in our country right now. With all the fatherlessness that's going on right now. If, if people, if we would go out and just shout it from the rooftops that we have, we have a Savior who loves us and who just wants us to, to bow before Him and submit our will to Him. And in return, He says, you're not slaves to sin anymore. Now you're my sons and daughters. What your earthly father could not do, I can do. As sons and daughters of Almighty God. And He says, because you are Sons, God sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls that Abba, Father. And that continues, it, it continues on in verse 7. It says, so you, know, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Think about how amazing that is. Think how amazing that is. That Christ... He, he, didn't, he didn't just take care of the, of the, of the penalty of your sin. He, he didn't just do that. He liberated us in this life. He, 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 through His Holy Spirit, he, he illuminates, He brings the truth of His Word out so we can see what His plan, and we can see what Satan's plan is. So now we, we can become empowered to recognize the plan so we don't become deceived by Satan's plan. That's amazing about the gospel of Jesus. He gives us a way out. It's not just a one-time salvation and yeah, I, I, I did this thing at, at Vacation Bible School when I was seven and now I'm living the way that I want to live and I'm doing what I want to live. No, he says, no, you, you, don't be deceived. You are a son and daughter of God. You're not, you're not supposed to be enslaved to sin anymore. You're not supposed to be. You don't have to be. Because you have, the, you have the spirit that resides within you. That's what this verse is talking about. This passage, rather, is talking about. That you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And since you're a son, God has also made you an heir. An heir. Oh, what blessings are we going to receive in heaven, Christians? What, what blessings are we going to receive? Abundance in heaven, right? But we can have abundance here. We'll say this, we will never be sinless, but we should certainly sin less. We'll never be sinless, ever, while we're here, but we should certainly sin less. There should be obvious fruit in your life of what God is doing in you. There should be obvious fruit. If, if you call yourself a Christian then you should, be, you should be seeking Jesus and following after Jesus and you should be so in love with Jesus and you should desire what He desires and you should crave what He tells you to crave. You should crave the fullness that is, that is Him. We should, as Christians. And because of that, we should understand that we should, we should sin less. We should sin less. Now, a little transition here. What if, and I posed this question earlier, what if, what if uh, for you and I,
that, that our, our intentions are not to offend God. Because I believe that when you live your life, I believe that, that you're, you're not, you don't intend to offend God. I, re- I, really, I really don't. I, I don't think that you just set out every morning and be like, you know what, how can I offend God? Like, I know how I can do it. I'm going to yell at my wife. I just don't think that happens. But yet, what would you do? Okay, so putting that aside and saying, oh, our intentions are maybe not to offend God, but what if the direction that you're going down is offensive to God? What would you do then? What would you do then? What would you change? What would you be willing to change? What relationships would you cut off? What would be different about you? Okay, so, so our intentions are, are not to offend God. But what if, what if the direction of your life is offensive to God? What if that partnership that you're getting ready to make at work, that the partnership that you're getting ready to make with an unbeliever, what if that is offensive to God? What would you do? What would you be willing to do? We're, we, we as Christians are not supposed to make partnerships with people who aren't of the faith. We'll have divided loyalty. What would you do? What right now, maybe you're, you're in a marriage and you're, maybe it's struggling. And you know what? I'll just tell you this. There is no amount of damage that has happened in your marriage that cannot be reconciled by Jesus. Over our 20 years, we've had some rocky roads. And what we've had to do in those moments is we've had to sit back and, and we, would, we would have to challenge ourselves. And as the Holy Spirit would convict us of the things that we've done wrong, and we haven't always got it right the first time. Sometimes it was the second, third, fourth, fifth time. And I, and I know that I haven't got this all worked out yet. I'm, st- I'm still a process, right? God's still working on me. And I know for the next 40, 50 years that the Lord would have us it, just bonded by marriage, I know He's going to be revealing things in me, and it's going to be through the accompaniment of my wife, and we're going to be learning things about him and he's going to be molding us and shaping us and building our marriage i know this okay all that being said no matter where your marriage is right now whatever that looks like i firmly believe that for you that you don't intend to offend god by what you're doing in your marriage i will tell you this if you don't guard your marriage bed as 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 malachi 3 tells us to if you don't guard your marriage bed your marriage will be destroyed if you don't guard your marriage bed, if you don't maintain a level of purity, men, if you don't maintain a level of purity with your eyes and your desires, because Proverbs 4.23 tells us we have to guard our hearts for it affects everything that we do. Another translation, it says guard your hearts for it, for it, it, is, um, it, it affects the, the wellness of your life. So for you and I, we, we have to understand there are safeguards that have to be in place. Maybe you don't, you don't intend to offend God, but what if the path you're going down, men, what if it is offensive to God? What, is, what if it is? What are you going to do? What are you willing to do? What if for you, you, you are just so bought into a hurt, and maybe it's a legitimate hurt. I don't want to minimize. I don't want to minimize pain because I, I don't understand your pain. I, I'm, that would be foolish for me to think that I do. But what I do know is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're called to forgive. We're called to forgive, as Christians. 
But what if, what if that, that, that thing that you're harboring and that hurt, what if that, that hurt is metastasized and now it's just it's starting to just eat away inside of you? What would you be willing to do with it? What would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to do? Galatians 2.20 says this. Tells us what we need to do with it. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the very desire, the, the, the very craving and desire you have to hold on to that hurt, you have to say as a Christian, if you're a non-Christian, you're off the hook on this one. You don't understand the grace of God yet. You don't. But if you're a Christian, you, you should have some knowledge of the grace of God. And the very thing that you're holding on to and you're saying, oh, I just, I like it. I like having this power over this person. For you as a Christian, this is what we're called to do. Understand that we've been crucified with Christ. That means all our sinful desires have been crucified with Christ. That means all of the, all the things that we want to hold on to, we want to have and control people. We want to shame people. We want to guilt people. We want to control people. We want to have, we want to have a, a wife who, who bows down to us. We want to have a, a husband who cowers to us. All of those things, we have to sit back and say, you know what, that's my old self, and that died when Jesus died for me. That died when Jesus died for me. There can't be any other way. There can't be any other way to have freedom in Christ. If this verse be true... It says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. That means my old self, my old desires, my, my, old, my old dreams, my old aspirations, my, my old hurts, my old relationships, my, my, my old way of thinking, my old way of living, and the way that I used to spend my money, and the way I used, to, I used to, to love people around me, and the way I used to control people around me, those died when Jesus died for me. And now... Christ lives in me. Therefore, you should be changed. And now, as a course of that, it says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. That's a powerful word. You want freedom in Christ? You can't have it by chasing your old way of thinking. You can't. You, you, you want... You want a great, long, lasting marriage that's just a legacy-building marriage. You can't do it by worldly thinking. You have to get into the Word of God. You have to. You, you, you want to have relationships around you. You want to look like Jesus to people around you. Then you have to go to work and say, you know what? Christ lives in me. I'm not, I'm not working for myself anymore. I'm working for the glory of God by the grace of God every single day. Because as Christ lives in me, then He wants to live through me. And He wants to shape generations around me. See, there's hope in the gospel, but the hope in the gospel resides in the, in the hearts of, of young men and women and boys and girls and men and women who live in accordance to his word. I'm crazy enough to think that we can make a difference right here in our community. I, I, I'm, I'm crazy enough to think that. I'm crazy enough to think that I sit around and I look at even the people in this room or who would hear this message later, that they would 
that they would believe, if they were simply to believe this, and they would recognize that the enemy's tactics and his plan, that they would live changed lives, and it would shape our very culture. That the city of Dublin would not be, that the city would not be divided, that the city would be one. That, that our community would come together for the cause of Christ. That it would, it would be other churches and other partnerships and other Christians that would all work together as one if we would simply get back to the book. What I love about this series is we can walk right behind Jesus through, through his last week of his earthly life. We can walk right, right behind him. We can see it. As a matter of fact, there are four different accounts of it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick your poison, whatever one you want. We can walk in his steps to see how we're supposed to live. He lets us know how. And he also gives us the power to do it. 